0: Check, 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 check the mic. All right. I'm going to borrow a seat here as a water table. I'm going to raise the water table. I don't know if anyone remembers last time that I spoke, but I was battling with the need for readers And it just didn't go well at all, so this time I decided to use large print on paper and my computer. So, maybe. Oh, I don't know if my computer signed in to the Wi-Fi here, so I might just have to use my phone when it comes to scriptures. All right, I don't know how many people have seen the allegory by J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, the Lord of the Rings, and, and all that goes along with that. But in the third movie, there's a scene where they're kind of getting surrounded by the enemy, and uh, the king gives this speech. He said, there may be a day when the strength of men fails, but this is not that day. Well, there may be a day when I get up here without making apologies first, but this is not that day. Uh, So, I really, uh, really, really, really wanted to preach today on my favorite scripture. You know, what is today, folks? Today is October 10th, 1010, and my favorite scripture in the whole Bible is john 10:10 10, 10. the enemy came to still kill and destroy but i i being jesus have came have come to give you life abundantly that is my favorite scripture in the whole bible i have a few that i love a lot Chad, as we ministered to that young man the other week, I shared with him, with the young man, how I love Jeremiah 33, 3, that says, you know, call to me and I will answer you. But my very favorite uh, is that the Lord has come to give us life in abundance, and it seemed like everything was aligning. It was my week to preach. Today is ten ten. It was all set up, but you know what? You've got to preach what the Lord wants you to preach and not what you want to. And so even though it felt like everything was there, (laughs) it wasn't what the Lord had for me. Because I love that scripture. The Lord promises us abundance. And you know I for so long I misrepresented that uh scripture thinking that it the Lord promised us riches. But you know it's (laughs) other an abundant life is so much more than that. It's health. It's healthy relationships. It's security financially. But you know what? Sometimes we're very secure financially, even when we don't have a dime. But we know that the Lord in heaven will take care of every need according to His riches. So it doesn't always show up in our bank account. You know, the Hebrews wandered in the desert and their shoes didn't wear out. You can uh, you can have all the money in the world and all the problems that go along with it. Or you can have a very little and have peace. And so abundance is much more than just what's in your bank account. That's not my message today. Have you have you guys ever seen those movies? Some movies go like this. Some movies build up and build up and build up and build up. And at the end, they everything comes together. And you know what's happening. And sometimes you're lost almost for the whole movie. A good one, I love those movies where first you think it was this way, then you think it was this way. Well, maybe it was. then you go back to your original, and at the end you go, oh, my goodness, you know, that was awesome how they finished that movie. Well, some movies are like that, and some messages are like that. You build and you build and you build, and at the end of the message, you have a hook, and that hook is the altar call, you know, or your ending. Other movies... Uh, show you the very end, everything that happened, and then all of a sudden they go back and it will say three days earlier, or one day earlier, or four hours earlier, and then it shows you everything that happened to lead to that ending. Well, I'm going to preach it more like that today. <laughs> I'm going to give you the ending from the beginning, and then fill in why I believe this message is pertinent for today. All right? So... Today's message is signs. You won't see that up on the screen because there again, I didn't finish up till 10 o'clock. I don't know how many people in here have heard of the five-man electric band. <laughs> Most people probably haven't. shaking his head. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, they wrote a song in 1971. Maybe some of you in here would know it a little better because Tesla redid it. But the song is called Signs. Signs, signs, everywhere signs. Blocking up the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that, won't you read the signs? Can't you read the signs? Well, in that song there's a line that says, there's a sign out in front of this business, and it says, long-haired hippie people need not apply. So the guy tucks his hair up under his hat, and he goes in to ask him why. The guy says, you look like a fine, outstanding young man, I think you'll do. And then he takes off his hat and says, imagine that, me working for you. Well, things are so bad right now that even long-haired hippie people are being encouraged to apply. I mean, the market, things are crazy right now. I talked to a person who was running a job fair up on North Green River Road. They said, you know, the area, just our area, never mind the country, never mind the world, our, what you would consider our tri state area is down over 7,000 employees. And yet they held this fair, they had food trucks there, they had swag, they had giveaways, and they said almost no one showed up for it, you know? Uh, <laughs> right now businesses will take almost anyone, but, uh, it's just a sign of the times. Uh, if you guys uh, see me have a wrestling match with this cord, just laugh at me and we'll pretend it didn't happen and move on. Normally I run it down through the back of my shirt, but I got my shirt tucked in today. So, Let's read Matthew 16, 1 through 3. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked Him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just ask that your arrow of love would hit the mark today that the Word that I believe that You have for us in this hour would go forth and and hit a bullseye, Lord, that it would cause us to reflect on where we are at as a believer, as a non-believer, as a servant of Yours, that in every way, Lord, that looking at Your Word would be like looking into a mirror and seeing who we are. And I just pray I accurately give us a polished mirror to be able to look into clearly. In Your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Alright. Uno momento por favor. you know when you've got soda and coffee and tea and energy drinks water seems like to take a back shelf but boy as soon as you're desperately thirsty there's nothing quite like water to meet your cravings <clears throat> you now signs are really helpful i don't know how many people on here have been blessed enough to go on vacations but uh You know, oftentimes you can tell the person who's on vacation or who's a visitor, you know, they're the ones who are doing 20 in a 45. You can see their head inside looking all around and everything. They're the one that all of a sudden pulls a triple lane change (laughs) to take an exit. That's way over there that they need because they saw their restaurant they're looking for or their hotel. I had that happen to me just the other day going down the Lloyd Expressway. A lot of you may know where Cracker Barrel and, and uh, uh Texas Roadhouse is in Evansville, and there was a person in the far left lane, and all of a sudden they realized they wanted to take cross point all the way on the right-hand side, and so they cut all the way across that, and cars were hitting brakes and scattering, and I looked, and Sure enough, the Iowa license plate, they weren't out of town, or they suddenly realized they needed to be that way, you know. Their GPS didn't tell them until the last minute. But, uh, you know, signs can be really helpful to help you get where you're going. Sometimes without a sign, you would not know where you're at or how to get where you want to be. But signs aren't nearly as helpful if you don't pay attention to them and you ignore them. So I got a funny little story, and the only reason it's funny is because I ended up passing the test. But, uh, you know, Rachel and I, for a season, became school bus drivers. And, uh, you know, I'd been hired away from Deaconess to go to work for this company, Linkare, and, uh you know, they didn't tell me at the time they were hiring me. Oh, by the way, everyone else that we were hiring you to manage has quit. So basically, you're going to manage yourself and do all the work that three people used to do. Awesome. You know, that's, that's great. So after doing that for about nine months, uh, I began to have ulcers and, and stress. It was just craziness. And so Rachel and I made a decision. We had to do something. So the one good thing about that job is I was making a good bit of money. So we had to figure out how to replace that. And so we decided we would both become school bus drivers. So we went through our classes and our training and then came the time for the road test. Well, one of the parts of the road test is to be, you need to be hyper aware and know what's going on around you. And so as we're driving down the road and the instructor who's sitting there right beside me says, okay, what what's that sign that we just passed? Moment of fear. I have no idea. I didn't see the sign. <laughs> and I even knew ahead of time I was supposed to be watching for the signs, but when you're driving a school bus and there's traffic all around you, you're just thinking, don't let me kill somebody. <laughs> let me. And so I completely missed the sign. Well, the sign was a you guys, you probably have seen them all the time. Almost any time you approach a bridge, there's signs that show weight classes. You know, this this heavy truck can go across if it has two axles. This weight truck can go across if it has four axles, and and so on. And so, I told him, uh, "Yeah, it was it was one of those uh, smart enough to know I just crossed a bridge. It was one of those signs that." That tell you uh, weight classes. I Said, "Okay, what was the weight class of the largest vehicle he had me?" <laughs> I didn't know. So there again, we come up and we're getting near the school, and and there's people walking on the side of the road. So now I'm hyper vigilant. I'm on a narrow road. There's people on the side of the road, and totally miss the next sign. I'm driving really well, not hitting curbs, not you know staying in my, but I missed both signs See, what's that sign we just passed there again thinking quickly it's a school crossing sign no <laughs> it wasn't a school crossing sign it was a different sign I don't even remember what that one was but uh so two times he asked me what signs I saw and I missed it I wasn't watching for the signs fortunately they didn't uh caused me to fail and they didn't keep me from getting where I was going. Sometimes the consequences of ignoring signs can be much more severe. Imagine an important sign. Imagine a sign that says something like, bridge out ahead. Imagine if you're just chatting away or you're texting or, you know, you're just having a good time laughing. or. You know, I know someone who had an accident once because they dropped their cigarette and they were trying to get their cigarette up before it burned a carpet. And next thing you know, they had an accident, you know. Well, what if you missed a sign that says this bridge out, up ahead is out? And uh, before you know it, you're in real danger. You know, paying attention to the signs can be very crucial in our life and very important. Sometimes there can be some drawbacks to signs, though. Some people are more enamored with the sign than what it points to you know Jesus uh, was talking to the uh, Pharisees after the scripture I read in sixteen one through three in verse four he said it's a wor- a wicked and perverse generation or a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks a sign they you see he knew their heart and he knew. Uh, that for them the signs were more important than uh, the ones the sign pointed to. And we can become like that in our life sometimes. How many people have ever met someone who firmly believes that the book of Revelation is all about the Antichrist in the end times? Do you know that the full title of Revelation is The Revelation of Jesus Christ? See, those are just signs of the coming things. The tribulation, the Antichrist, all all those are signs. What it's really about is revealing Jesus Christ. It's pointing to His glorious and wonderful return. So, knowing the signs, we, we don't need to get focused up in the signs, but what the signs are pointing to. I can just picture Jesus wanting to jump up and down with those Pharisees, with those Sadducees and say, hey, guys, <laughs> I'm right here. The thing the sign is pointing to, the thing that all the words, all the prophecies we're talking about is right here in front of you. But they wanted to see a sign. You know, there's a saying, um, an old saying that says... Uh, something about missing the forest for the trees. And basically what that means is you can be right in the middle of something and not even see it because I can't see the forest. All these trees are in the way. (laughs) You know, the Pharisees and Sadducees were in the midst of a meeting with the Messiah and they couldn't even see it because it didn't look like what they were expecting or what they thought it should be. So, I want to ask this question. Could we be called a wicked and perverse generation who would rather see so that we believe, or are we a people of faith? Applying that faith to the Word of God and believing that He is who He says He is, that He is I am. So they wanted some proof from Him. Prove to us that you who you say you are. The Bible doesn't ask us doesn't ask Jesus. The burden of proof is not on Jesus. He laid his word out for us and it, and oh by the way he did this little thing where he went to the cross and died for us to prove his love for us. He doesn't have to prove himself to us. We have to have faith and believe that he is who he says he is. He doesn't owe us any sign. Sometimes he's faithful and will give us one. I had a a mentor uh when I first got born again, they actually put me in a discipleship. And so I had one my friend of the Lord, Lance, and so Lance went to be discipled by the lead pastor, and then I went to be discipled by this person who was kind of the lead intercessor in our church. We didn't have intercessors like you would think of it, but he re- he was a, a deacon. And an elder, but he was a very uh spiritual man who loved the Lord, who interceded and fasted all the time and I think the Lord really you know i was at first I was salty that i got didn't get put with the pastor and and my buddy did, and I got put with with Dale, but you know what God knew absolutely what he was doing, and uh that man marked my life for sure with the things he taught me. He took me through a simple book that taught about tithing and praying and reading God's Word and, you know, just basic discipleship stuff. But the time I spent with him helped transform my walk. But anyway, he was telling me his conversion story and and the Lord was working in his heart and he ended up out in the woods and He was asking the Lord for the sign. Lord, if you're really talking to me, will you send a shooting star? And he said, hours passed and no shooting star. And he said, I was just getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, the sky just, here here came this shooting star. And he said, I have served and followed the Lord ever since. So sometimes the Lord is faithful to give us a sign, but He doesn't owe us a sign. And He knows our hearts. It is important that as believers, we understand the signs of the times. Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 42, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul encourages encourages us in chapter 5, verse 6, to not sleep, but to watch and be sober. I have my concerns about myself and about many of us that we have had our senses dulled with ease, abundance, and entertainment. In a twisted application of God's blessing, we have settled into a belief that says, God wants me to be happy, so I'll only do things that creates happiness for me. I'm happy playing video games, so I'm going to devote hours to it a day. I'm happy when I watch TV, so that's going to be my focus. I'm, I'm happy when I'm eating foods and meals that I like, and so that's what I'm going to focus on. You know, there's a word, the word says in Ezekiel 1649. You know, a lot of people would have an understanding of Sodom and Gomorrah that they fell because of the homosexuality and the evil and perversion that was going on there. And those things were going on there. Obviously, we know the story of Lot, (laughs) trying to rescue the angels because of the uh, sexual perversion and homosexuality that was going on in that city. Yes, YouTube, I said homosexuality. But the Word says in Ezekiel 16.49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, plenty of food, and carefree ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. That's what the Lord held against Sodom and Gomorrah. They had come into a point of abundance, but all they cared about was themselves. It's interesting because Jesus concludes His message. So I'm about to read four different ways that the Lord told us, gave us stories of being alert, being ready. But at the end of that conclusion, he talks about a judgment that's coming. And in that judgment, he said he's going to separate sheep and goats. And do you know what the discerning factor on being no sheep or goats is? It says... That the sheep are people that when they saw God, uh, that they, when they saw Jesus in need, when they saw Jesus hungry, when they saw Jesus naked, when they saw Jesus in prison, they tended to him. And of course they said, Jesus, when did we see you in any of those kind of shapes? And he says, whenever you've done it to the least of these, then you've done it to me, to my brethren. And the goats, it's the same thing. When the Lord says, well, who are the people... Or, or when He describes the goats, it's the people who didn't do any of those things. They saw you, someone naked and said, you know, that's their problem. They saw someone hungry and they said, that's their problem. And so on and so forth. So there's... I find it very interesting in Ezekiel 16.49 that the Lord's judgment against Sodom was that they had arrogance, plenty of food, and carefree ease, and did not help the poor and needy. And then when he says he's going to judge, later on, he says, this was your same crime. You had, and you shared, or you had, and you did not share. We have to be aware of the signs of the times. In 24... 43 all the way through 2530, we have four different examples of things the Lord shares about being alert. The first one, he says, if the head of the house knew what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't let him break into his house, you know. But the reality is we don't know when the thief is coming, and Jesus is telling us that this is what his return is going to be like. We're not going to know the time. That's why Paul in First Thessalonians, when he tells them, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware, or some versions say ignorant, he's talking about those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, but then he's addressing this worry that some people feel like they might have missed the rapture. But he says... We already know what the rapture is going to be like. Why do we already know what the rapture is going to be like? Because of this here, when Jesus tells us, "My coming's going to be like a thief in the night," you know. So, both Jesus says His coming's like that. Paul reiterates His coming is like that. And Jesus is telling this example here that if we knew, we would have been prepared, but we won't know. So we need to remain alert and watchful. He goes on, he tells a story in verse 45, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household and gave them food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know and will cut him up in pieces and assign him with a a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He gave some very specific examples, getting drunk, beating the others, but could you say that that slave got a little too comfortable? No slave would be so comfortable as to start acting like the master unless he had gotten pretty numb and hardened to the return of that his master might be there at some point. He goes on in 25, he says, The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins. And, uh, just to kind of paraphrase this story, basically, There's ten virgins who go out to wait for the bridegroom to come back, but the bridegroom delays. And so five of them are wise and they take their oil along. Five of them are not wise and they're not prepared. And so when the bridegroom finally does return and the call goes, or the call goes out that the bridegroom's returning, the five foolish say, Hey, hey, give us some oil, you know. It's almost time, and and the wise virgins say, I'm sorry, but if we give you some of ours, then we won't have enough to keep our lanterns burning. Go and buy your own oil. And while they're gone away to buy their oil, the bridegroom comes, and he takes the five who were wise, and he shuts the door. And when the five foolish come, they want in. They want in badly, but it's too late. Jesus is calling us to be alert and to look at the signs. He goes on and he tells us the parable of the talents. I think most of us, especially those of us who have been raised in the church, have heard this again and again and again, but it bears repeating. Some he gives ten one he gives ten, one he gives five uh two, and one he gives one. And the person with ten puts it to work. The person with two or five, um Five, yeah, yeah, five, two, and one, yeah, math, Josh, it's just math, the person with five puts it to work, the person with two puts it to work, The person with one does not put it to work, he applies fear, he applies laziness to what he's received. And so when the master returns, know the story. The person with five says, I've earned something with this. And he says, well, good. Well, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. The person with two, I've done something with this. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. The person with one, master, I knew you were hard and that you gather where you didn't even sow. So I buried this talent. See, here's what is yours. And he calls him wicked and lazy. And he takes the one from the one who did nothing with it and gives it to the one with ten. There again, he's calling us to be alert and he's calling us to do something with what we've been given. We've all been given a measure. We've all been given a measure of faith. We've all been given a measure of gifting. And we are called to do something with it. What if the Lord gave us a gift and we said, well, we were scared we'd mess it up, and so we just didn't do anything with it. And the Lord came and said, wow, you were given a gift and you didn't do anything with it. What you do have, I'm going to take and give to someone else and, and you know, punishment for you who did not do anything with what you had. I want us to be thinking about this. What's in us? What measure of faith do we have? What gifting do we have? Are we serving? Can we say, well, I'd have done something with it if I was the guy with five. You can do something with five talents. But one talent? What can you even do with that? I preached a whole message once on, you know, the guy with five and, and, you know, he bought sheep and he sold the wool and he he sold the offspring and and that's how he turned his five into more. And the guy with two, you know, he went out and bought grain and he milled it and he sold bread and that's how he turned his two into something. You know, the guy with one could have bought a cart and started a hauling business and, and turned it into more money, you know. He could have done something with the one, but because he did nothing with it, the Lord was displeased with him. All right. When the religious leaders asked for a sign, Jesus called them wicked and adulterous because he knew their hearts and motives. However, when his disciples asked him for a sign, he gladly answered their questions. Well, sort of. <laughs> so they asked three questions, uh, doopy doopidoo, where am I? In 16 matthew sixteen i 'm pretty sure that 's where uh, we need to be, yeah uh. no no okay, sorry at the beginning of twenty four when he came out of the so it says Jesus came out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the building temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they basically asked the same thing the Pharisees and Sadducees did. You know, they are asking for a sign. But see, their heart motive was completely different from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees, and dare I say, sometimes us, want God to prove Himself to us, to show Himself to us. But other times we just have honest questions. <laughs> you know? It's our desire to know Him better and to understand things. So Jesus begins to sit down and talk to them about signs. <clears throat> so they asked him three questions. You know, I used to uh, kind of misunderstand this Scripture because when he begins to answer, I thought he was just giving all one answer, and it was really all one question. But yeah, it is actually three different questions. When will we see these things happen? What are these things? Not one stone left upon another on the temple. And then, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there's three different questions. When will we see the temple fall? What will be the signs of your coming? And what will be the signs of the end of the age? Jesus doesn't really give an answer to all three. Uh, More so, two of them. And even then, He quickly... Uh, kind of changes things up, so he gave them an answer about the signs what will happen uh, when the for seeing the temple destroyed, and he says, you know when you see Jerusalem surrounded and things like that and and this generation won 't pass away you know and typically a, a generation is forty years and and in that time frame. Uh, there were those of them that he was talking to still alive when the Roman army came and surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Chad, in his teaching of his leadership class, uh, talked to us about some awesome things that the Lord actually did to make way for the uh, people, the believers of God, to get out of the city and be saved. So and they had to flee for the hills. <laughs> they had a gap. They had a window to flee for the hills. But then he begins to talk a lot about, um, things that will happen before the end of his age, before the end of the age. And he doesn't give a lot of signs about before his coming. Because before his coming, he says it's going to be like a thief in the night. There's not really going to be a lot that you're going to see. Because no one knows the day and the hour. See, if he laid out this, this, and this is going to happen, we would know the day or the hour. But he does give a lot of signs of what's going to happen before the end of the age. And many people know this. I'm not going to, I'm going to pull a Jesus at this point. <laughs> he gave some signs about what's going to happen. But you know what? That really wasn't his focus. Because very quickly, he transitioned into what they needed to do and what we need to do to be ready. See, the signs weren't nearly as important to Jesus as us being ready. We need to see the signs, we need to look at the signs, but what are we going to do to be ready? So, I think that Jesus is pretty smart, pretty wise, And so rather than focusing on a bunch of signs, let's focus on what He's telling us to be ready, to be prepared. So what are we seeing right now that's leading to this conversation? Is everything the way it's always been? I have to tell you right now for me that there are days that I just look up to the eastern sky and I think, is this the day you split it wide open? <laughs> you know, is this the day you come for your believers? Is this the day that the dead in Christ rise and, and those of us who are His respond and join them in the air? You know, I, I said split the eastern sky. That's, that's actually the returning, uh, when the whole world will see. But, but I just look to the sky and say, Jesus is today the day you come for us, is today the day you pull us away. Why do I feel like that, maybe like no other time? You know, in the 70s, my father-in-law, my mom, they got saved in the Jesus movement, and they were sure that the Lord was coming then. The writers of the Bible were sure the Lord was coming then, and yet there seems to just keep being delayed. Well, I feel like there's a lot of signs that are pointing to us being very, very, very close. (laughs) It's felt very confirmational, Richard, as you... uh, Where'd Richard go? There's Richard. That we sang that song, that we wait, even so, Lord, come. That we're waiting for Him, that we're expecting Him to come. Because the signs, guys, uh, don't miss the signs that are happening right now that are making us closer than ever to the fulfillment he he wrote in Daniel, to the fulfillment of the things he talked about in Matthew, to the fulfillment of the things that are talked about in the book of Revelation. You know, to set us up for a time when the world has an antichrist, when the world has a savior that they are crying out for, there needed to be a global problem. And I tried to make global warming that problem, but it just never gained the traction it needed. There's a lot of people in a lot of countries who are very concerned about global warming. There's also a lot of people... <laughs> Yeah, I just read an article this morning. It's funny. I just read an article this morning that said Antarctica... Is colder now than any time in recorded history. Well, that makes it kind of hard for people to... to well, But if you take a serious global a global warmest, they'll tell you, well, the reason it's colder is because of global warming. And I just scratch my head and say, what? The reason it's colder is because it's globally warmer. I, I just don't get that, you know. But it's colder in any time in recorded history in Antarctica right now than it ever had been. So that, that didn't get the traction they needed. But however, COVID, enter COVID onto the scene. It's merged most governments of the world. Not everyone, but most. And almost every news outlet is carrying the same rallying cry. It's really hard to find news right now. That will just give you some honest reporting uh, about statistics and numbers and what's really happening without it being slanted toward an agenda. Never before have we seen it like it is now. Even as as COVID is causing a health crisis, it's causing supply chain crises. I don't know if anybody has seen the boats Stacked up out in the Pacific Ocean, waiting to bring things into the country. Some of these things, guys, are things people are desperate for. There's my brother James back here. Nice to see you, James. Glad to see you back there. What's it like to be in the car business right now? (laughs) With not, with no microchips. (laughs) Well, guess what? I'm in healthcare. Some of the stuff people need for their health are sitting out in those ships in the Pacific Ocean waiting to be brought into our country. We are reaping some of the dividends of turning all of our manufacturing over to China. Uh, that's true. But suffice it to say that there has been a collision course of a number of different things that has prepared us to be a part of a time like we have never seen before. Does anybody know that in the last budget that the was presented by the uh, Democrats and President Biden, that in that bill is a provision to buy up a lot, lot, lot of farmland? Why would the government want to buy up farmland? both of vegetables and dairy lands and meat to control food supply. Now, I'm not going to rail on and on and on and sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist. Um, There's a lot of stuff out there I would love sometime to have Pastor Chad teach on some of this stuff. I had a very enlightening conversation when we drove down to the uh, revival on some of the things that are out there that the governments and the wealthy and the leaders of industry uh, would like to see for us and have planned for us. It's not lies. It's not conspiracy theories. It's fact. It's in print. It's uh, recorded in audio talks. It shows up in the bills that are written. It's not wild, out-there stuff. It's not, we didn't land on the moon. It's not aliens in Area 51. It's not, you know, that the uh, CIA shot Ted Kennedy, or not Ted Kennedy, but uh, Kennedy. Um, this isn't that stuff. This is just, it's there if you can see the signs. But if you don't see the signs, then everything's just fine. You know, Chad has a lot of good researched information on where COVID started, who paid to help develop it, how it got from this country to that country, the plans that they had that people have to reduce population, the uh desires they have for us to all have a central marking system and tracking system. It's not high-in-the-sky stuff, it's documented stuff, wouldn't you say, Master Chad? Yeah, it is. So, I tried to search the term, how many, how many, when you preached, you used to pull out a stack of books this high and read through them until you found what you were looking for, now you just ask Google. <laughs> It cuts through all that time. You know, it used to take a pastor 40 hours to get prepared for a sermon. Now you don't need all that time. Just ask Google. It'll tell you right where to go. So just so I could get the right Scripture reference, I asked Google, where is the mark of the beast in the Bible? Well... I've asked Google that same question previously for this sermon and in dozens of sermons and it'll say, you know, Revelation such and such, you know, in this case 1318. But you know what happened when I pulled up where is Revelation in the book and in, in the Bible? Multiple page after page after page. It didn't even tell me where the scripture reference is. It told, it asked the question again and again and again is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? That is the conversation that's happening, and it's flooding the world, and it's happening in, you know, obviously in Christendom, and it's happening in the world. I want to... (laughs) I was going to use a word, uh, inequivocably. I want to squash any thoughts that I am here saying that I think... The COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. You know, there are things about it that I don't care for and don't like. I have no judgment on anyone who has gotten it. I ended up as I could not find a job and things got closer and closer to a deadline for me at Deaconess. So whether I was going to continue to be employed, ended up getting it myself. Would I have rather not? Yes. Would I judge anyone that did? No. Would I judge anyone who didn't? No. <clears throat> However, I will say this. The vaccine passport, guys, look at the signs of the time. It is very much becoming much more like a mark of the beast. It says this in, uh, I said 13, 18, but in 13, 16, and 17, this is a sign that was pointed out in the book of Revelation. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, hear me once again, I am not saying that the COVID passport is this, but it sure feels like a really good precursor. You know, there are places, there are countries now, there are cities, there are businesses that you cannot go into without that passport. It's if you were to live on the east coast coast, you would be experiencing it a lot. We don't we're we're here in the Midwest in the Bible Belt. Things are a little different for us yet. You see it in places, but not like on the East Coast. Uh, uh, New York just passed the most stringent law on it of of places you will not be able to go without that passport. You know, restaurants and theaters and and. I think libraries, and there's a whole list of places, public places that you cannot go into without your vaccine passport. Is it the Mark of the Beast? No. But is it setting up and preparing for the Mark of the Beast? I would tell you absolutely yes. I believe that with every fiber of my being that just like now they are trying to prevent people from buying or selling or entering into places or having employment or vacationing without this document, that they will refine this and refine this and refine this until there's a day when you'll have to take a mark to even be able to buy and sell. And woe to people in that day. You know... Now, I believe that the good news for us as believers, that if we hold on to Christ to the end, that we won't have to see that. That the Lord has not appointed us to wrath and that He will come and rescue us. But there are people that will be alive during that time frame who will become born again, who will face have to face these issues. And there are people that we love who will face tremendous pressure to take that mark. Imagine if you're on a heart medicine and the only way you can get that heart medicine is to take that mark or you're gonna die. Pretty tempting to have to take that mark. Imagine that you love your children with the love that worldly people have and the only way you can get food is to take that mark. You know? Any, There's going to be pressures in every way to force people to take that mark. Just like right now, they're trying to force pressure for people to take the vaccine so that they can go where they want to go and do what they want to do and earn what they want to earn. I am not... Hear me, hear me, hear me. (laughs) After saying all that, I am not a preacher of doom and gloom. To me, this stuff is actually exciting. How is it exciting, Josh? It's exciting because as this develops more and more and more and more, it means that our redemption draws nigh. It means that time that I was talking about when I just look to the sky and say, Jesus, is this the day you're coming for me? Is this the day you're coming for us? That day is getting closer and closer and closer. And every day, without a doubt, is one day closer to the return of the Lord. But as we see the signs, how many okay, How many have ever driven to Colorado? I have not, but I've been told about it many times. I had a bo- uh, boss whose parents lived in Denver, and he said, you will enter into Kansas, and you will see those mountains. You'll think, I'm almost there. And you'll drive, and you'll drive, and you'll drive, and those mountains are still out there. So, a thing can be out in the distance and still be a very long ways away. But how many know there's a difference when all of a sudden you see a road sign It says, you know, Denver 100 miles, Denver 50 miles, you know, Denver 10 miles, Denver city limits. Yes, in the Bible times, they thought that the soon return of the Lord was near, and it was that mountain out in the distance, and it looked like it was close. But folks, I believe that we're seeing the signs that says, return of the Lord, 20 miles, return of the Lord, 10 miles. And we need to be prepared, and to me, that's a moment of excitement, because I look forward to a certain return, but that also means that there has never been a worse time to not know Jesus. To come into a time period that is called a great tribulation and not know Him is a terrible, terrible thought. You know, the only thing to give us pause on our excitement of the Lord coming for us should be the thought of those who don't know Him, who aren't prepared who aren't paying attention to the signs, our family, our neighbors, our workmates that don't know that there's a soon return. So let this be a call for any who's away from the Lord. Run, 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 run to the Lord while you have time. If you don't know Jesus, now is the time. Even if He doesn't return for 10 years, you don't have tomorrow promised. There's such a thing as a widowmaker heart attack. Out of nowhere, you're dead. There's a car accident you never see coming. There's so many things. We're not promised tomorrow. Now is the time. Today is the day to know the Lord. Believer, are we ready? Is our oil Full? Are we watching? Are we awake? Are we living a life of abundance and ease? Full of entertainment and seeking our pleasure? Are we sober? Are we seeking our lost brothers and sisters? Are we showing kindness to the least of Jesus' brothers? I cannot answer these questions for any of you. All I can do is answer them for myself, but I would urge you to seek the Lord on what he would say to you about the answer to those questions in your own life. Chad, if you want to close us out.
1: Feet, if you would. Praise the Lord. Um, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And um, how many are people that like to be prepared for everything? Some some people are like that. It's like uh, like I've got this um, my famous bug out bag, you know, and I'm always like to be ready for everything. And somebody gets a little scrape. I can't wait to run. Eddie's been there before. We've been working and he gets a little cut and I'm like, I got a band-aid. And I can't wait to run to that bug out bag, you know, and grab that band-aid because I was prepared. You know, uh, scissors. Somebody needs scissors. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I went to the festival the other day and the sun was out and I told my, my daughter Johanna, I said, I, I've got some sunglasses in my bug out bag. And, um, I just like to know that I'm prepared. And um one time my wife asked me, and when I was an eight year old, I was a little um, little kid, and we took this little oath. How many of you have ever been in Royal Rangers? It's like Boy Scouts version, it's a church version of Boy Scouts. And um, they made us raise our hand and say, Ready. Ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, obey. I still remember the cold. So my wife will ask me sometimes, why are you so prepared? And I said, When well, I took that oath. At eight years old, I meant every word of it. Meant every word of it. I'm still living by the cold, the Ranger cold. Of course, it's a joke. Sometimes in church, we um, we try to get ready. Let me know that. We try to. We say, "Man, all these signs are happening. I got to get ready. I got to pray a prayer of desperation." I've got to get myself ready. I've got to be in that place. And sometimes we scare ourselves into getting ready. But how many of you know if you're not just prepared all the time, you don't live the lifestyle, then you're not probably ready. And so, my purpose in life as a minister. How many of you know everybody here is called, the Bible said, to be ministers of the gospel? The Bible says we're called to be reconcilers with God. And that's a big word that just means that we're here and our purpose is to help people get reconciled with God. And you say, man, are you just going to open a door and there's going to be a moment here and that's my only chance and if I don't take it, then I've missed the opportunity? I'm going to tell you that that opportunity is this moment, that opportunity is five minutes from now, ten minutes from now, but someday that door is going to be shut. And so what I'm saying is if you don't do it right now, find me in five minutes when everybody's not looking at you and everybody's not watching you, or find me by my phone number and call me later. Because my purpose is to reconcile you with God. And it's not a prayer of desperation. It's not a prayer to, to get your insurance and leave and do whatever you want. It's to say, hey, I want to be ready at all times. I want to live the life. Uh, Paul was writing that letter to Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, uh, because they were a group of believers that was trusting in the coming of the Lord. And he said, hey, all these things are going to come upon this earth. We can sense them coming. How many sense that something's up in the world? And the Bible gives us plenty of signs. And we know that it's going to happen at some point, that God has a plan and a purpose, and it's the revealing of Jesus Christ, and this world's going to be set right. Uh, we all know that this isn't the place that God prepared for, uh, for eternity, this is the place that we're in now. But God is going to repair this world of all sin. I mean, know that? And He says that I haven't appointed you to this wrath. I don't want you to go through what the earth is about to go through at some point. And so my job is to make sure that you don't just pray a prayer. My job is to make you ready... Ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, obey. And that's what it means to make Him the Lord of your life. To say, you know what, it's okay to have a, you know, enjoy yourself in this world, enjoy the good things of this world, but be ready all the time. Like, I'm always ready for the return of the Lord. I'm always ready to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm always ready for the Lord to come quickly and say, Lord, I'm so ready right now. And how many know you can live like that all the time? And so I just want you to close your eyes this morning. And and uh, this is between you and God. Nobody's going to look around, right? Everybody say, yeah, nobody's going to look around. Okay. This is between you and God. And I just want you to, I want to ask the question because it needs a response. Yes, I'm ready. That's you. I want to see that hand. Don't. No, nobody's looking around. I'm ready. Put it back down. Just telling yourself it's a conversation between you and God. I'm ready. I'm ready for anything. I'm ready at any time, any moment. And if that's not you, there is an altar here. And all you have to do, when I gave my life to God, nobody was there. I had no church people, no church, nobody to lead me to God. And I just said, God, I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to serve you with all my heart. I'm never going to let go of your hand. No matter how much I fail, you hear me? No matter how much I fail, no matter who leaves me, no matter what happens, I'm going to serve you from this day forward. And when I prayed that prayer, just like I said that oath as an eight-year-old kid, when I prayed that prayer, the Lord, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. I'm never going to let go. You are the Lord of my life. I meant it. And so we're going to pray that prayer together, and if you mean it, follow through with it. And you need to talk to me. I want to talk to you about that commitment. I want to talk to you about that commitment in your life. If you couldn't raise your hand, you say, man, Chad, I want to be ready at all times like you. I want to talk to you about that. So let's pray that prayer. We're going to sing a song, and I want you to pray it in your words. and Follow through with it. Hallelujah, if you're away from God, that's all it takes. The Bible says that we will confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Hallelujah, how many believe that? What it means, I have faith in that. And Lord, because you saved me, not because of me, you saved me. Now I'm going to live for you with all of my heart because you did take my sins away. I didn't earn it. My good deeds didn't earn it. You died for me, so now I'm going to live for you. It's the least I can do. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to live for you. So let's pray that prayer together, and then you are free. How many know, because it's not about me and my good works, how many know that when he forgives me of my sins and I confess my sins, and I say you are the Lord of my life from this day forward, how many know that I can raise clean hands? because he's washed me of all sin and all unrighteousness. You say, man, you don't know how bad I am. You don't know about what I've done. You don't know all the details. He does. And he still died for you. So we're going to pray that prayer together. And if you mean it, pray it and just begin to praise God, and you're free to raise your hand. You say, I've never done that. You say, well, man, I don't do that. I just close my eyes, and that's fine too. Everybody has their way of worshiping God, but just worship Him. You might feel like kneeling before God. Do it. We're here to encourage that. Do what you got to do. Tell God, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. So let's pray that prayer together. We're going to take one song to worship, and I'm going to close. And if you've made that commitment you need to let somebody know and let me be that person. Talk to me. Talk to somebody. Tell somebody. We'll water baptize you. That just means that I'm laying down in death and coming up in life. It's my public confession that I've done this. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. And if you you are not right with the Lord, let's pray that prayer together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you today. Lord, in my own words, in my own way, I come before you and only you, Lord God, not before this preacher or these people. Lord, you are the Lord of my life. I proclaim it today. Lord, I trust you with all of my heart and all of my days. Lord, take my sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you know everything I've done. You know everything about me. You know my childhood, Lord. You know everything that I've done. Your eyes have seen it all, Lord God. And you said... That if I will confess my sins, you will be faithful to forgive me of all unrighteousness and cleanse me. And Lord, I ask you today to do that in my life, Lord God. Today, I give my life to you, Lord. You are the Lord of my life. You are the Savior of my life. And today, I trust you with everything, Lord. Today, I'm going to praise you, Lord God, because by faith, you have made me clean, Lord. I thank you.
2: In
1: your name, I pray. Hallelujah! Give the Lord the praise. Hallelujah! Give the Lord a handkerchief of praise. He did it all. He did it all. Now let's begin to worship Him. Hallelujah. your faithfulness to the Lord and I want you to think about that uh, group of people in the Thessalonians book they were pagans when Paul came there they were people that didn't know anything about God and here was a group of people waiting for the return of the Lord and Paul was encouraging them and they were persecuted and he was saying hey just stay faithful. Keep looking for the return of the Lord. And he was saying, comfort yourself. Be excited about the coming of the Lord. And I see us like that group of people that he was writing to. You know, we're staying faithful to the Lord. That's why we're here on a Sunday morning being faithful to the Lord and watching and waiting. And those parables that we heard, you know, they're keeping that light going. Those Remember the oil and the lamp? They're keeping the light burning. They're watching for the thief in the night. You know, they're taking what God is giving him and putting it into use for the kingdom. They're actively waiting for the return of the Lord. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, I need to talk to you. If you're reconciling with God, being ready, and there's a certain excitement when you're ready. How many know that excitement? It's like me running to my little bag, get that band-aid. Say, Eddie, I got your band-aid, buddy. I'm ready. And when you're ready for the return of the Lord, there's not fear, there's not anxiety about the things that are going on in this world because there's excitement. We weren't meant to see that. How many know that? God didn't want us to see what's coming into the world. We don't have anything to worry about. We have no fears, no anxiety. We have nothing but excitement because we're ready. And it cracks me up to think about that little eight year old saying that pledge. Some of the stuff you say in church, you know. <laughs> ready, ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, obey. Hallelujah. Amen. We all ready? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have um, given this message of hope about your coming. Lord, the um, comfort it brings us, the joy it brings us, the excitement, Lord God, that we have to be with you, Lord, and uh, let that hope, that excitement, Lord God, let it... um, be a big part of our lives, Lord God. Every day that we live, every moment that we live, let it be an excitement because it's just a little while longer, Lord. It won't be much longer, Lord. Sooner than we think, Lord. We'll be in your presence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and bless your people. Bless their day, Lord God. Let there be joy in your name, Lord God. We thank you. Everybody said, Amen. ¡Gracias no, 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 no.